Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to share. It's my first time at the Bangor Mission Convention. Um, I've uh, been, lived in Northern Ireland before, but uh, 20 years ago, I'm originally from England, as you can tell by my accent. Uh, my wife, as we've heard, is from Taiwan, and my daughter, Naomi, uh, she's 13. She's like most missionary kids. She really doesn't know where she's from. Uh, about 20 years ago, I left the UK to go to Taiwan to start work with OMF. And I'd already had a, a significant cross-cultural ministry experience. As earlier in the year, OMF sent me, an Englishman from a, a Baptist church in London, to work on the staff here in a Presbyterian church in Northern Ireland. And after that experience, I felt I was ready for everything and anything. But in the 20 years that followed, um, I married a local girl, studied two Chinese dialects, worked with free Methodist brethren, Lutheran, other churches, preached, taught, evangelized, planted churches, saw God work in amazing ways, and through all that, never really felt adequate for any of it, including the marriage, and yet, at the same time, became more and more aware how much that God is sufficient for all our needs. And tonight, I want to share something of our experiences over just the last three years in Taiwan. But first, let me say a little bit about Taiwan, the Republic of China to some, um, the island of Formosa to others. Taiwan's an island to the south of China. It's about one-third the size of Ireland, but has four times, or more than four times, Ireland's population. It's a crowded, busy, prosperous, modern society where most people live in large megacities of Taipei, Taichung, Kaohsiung, and Tainan on the west side of the, of the island. If you look in Operation World and in some OMF literature, you'll see the official figures of around about 4 to 5% Christian. But I think, sadly, those figures are nowhere near accurate. Um, if you discount all the various cults and the highly inflated claims of some of the denominations, I, I think 3% Christian would be a generous figure. But actually, that is great news. You see, on my first home assignment over 15 years ago, I remember frequently going round saying that Taiwan was the only Chinese society where there'd been no significant growth of the church in recent times, and quoting figures of about 2.5%, 2 to 2.5% Christian. That's no longer the case. In the last uh, around 15 years, the church in Taiwan has been growing in the major cities. While some of the more traditional denominations have lost members, newer churches, in particular the large indigenous urban cell church uh, churches, such as Linyang Tang, the Bread of Life Church in Taipei, Grace Church and Banner Church in Taichung, they have thousands of members and multiple congregations, and God is growing his church in Taiwan. And isn't that great? And they're beginning to send people out in mission which is fantastic. So an obvious question then is why are the missionaries still there? Uh, and I'll always remember 
an OMF Taiwan field council meeting about 12 years ago when our field director posed that very question. He abandoned the normal agenda and he said, I, I want us to discuss this question. Is it time for OMF to stop working in Taiwan? Well, that caused a bit of silence. Uh, and as we thought and we prayed, we realized that there really was a huge task still needing to be done. And while the Taiwan church was growing amongst the middle class and the educated and the students, there was a huge segment of Taiwan's population that was still untouched by the gospel and for whom the church seemed to be irrelevant. And this was the 15 million or so working class of Taiwan, less than 1% Christian, caught up in dark, superstitious folk religion, marginalized by society where prosperity and educational progress are key values. Taiwan's working class, the shop workers, the market vendors, the truck drivers, the hairdressers, the laborers, the factory owners, the mechanics, largely ignored by the existing church of Taiwan and even where the churches were trying to reach them, they were mostly failing. And OMF revised its mission policies and strategies to focus on these needy people. And as we did so, we began to pray that God would send us new workers so that we could focus on reaching the working class through church planting, through student and youth ministry, focused on the less prestigious schools and colleges, on the poor areas through specialist ministries in, uh, amongst urban marginalized people, the youth, the homeless, the AIDS sufferers, the prostitutes. And in answer to our prayers and the prayers of folks back at home, God blessed the Taiwan OMF field. And from 1992 to 2002, our numbers had dropped from more than 80 missionaries to less than 40 missionaries. But as we began to get excited about the new vision to reach the working class, and as people began to pray, God began to send us new workers. We've had more than 25 in the last six years. And we're, we've started new outreaches and new ministries to Taiwan's working class. We had no idea what we were letting ourselves in for. I, I want to tell you about one such team that three years ago, began outreach in Taiping, an industrialized area in central Taiwan. Just has a few weak churches, very low percentage of Christians. I'd like to show you a video that we made to introduce um, this ministry. We can have the video. Well, I hope that's given you a little picture of where we work. Now, let me tell you something about the people that we work amongst in Taiping. I want to introduce you to a few folks. This is... Um, uh, this lady in the picture highlighted here, Chen uh, Chou Yen. Uh, it was a huge blow to the Chen family when they realized that their daughter, Chou Yen, was not a normal child. They were a very religious family. Mr. Chen had a shrine devoted uh, with many expensive idols. And, and how was this devotion to the gods? How, how was it that it hadn't protected them from having a child like that? Years later... Uh, Mr. Chen decided to open a temple using his knowledge of fortune-telling and divination and his growing collection of powerful idols. He would turn his religious devotion into a career. And now his teenage daughter, Chou Yen, instead of being an embarrassment because of her failure at school and her odd behavior, now she was an asset. 
She would often be possessed by the gods in the temple. And when in a trance, the gods could speak through her to those who'd come to the temple for help. And yet there was no peace. Cho Yen went through cycles of odd mental behavior when the doctors kept her highly medicated. And Mr. Chen himself knew this was not good for his daughter. Cho Yen was introduced to us by another missionary. Mr. Chen thought it would be good for his daughter to know the Christian God. So even though they ran a temple, they welcomed us and were happy for us to come and pray with them and tell them Bible stories, even inside the temple. Cho Yen always welcomed my wife Lucy with a lovely smile. We heard about some meetings being run by a, a Taiwanese who was a counselor, and we thought that that would be happy for this girl. Her, her da, uh, it would be good for her, this girl to go. And her dad was happy and even keen for her to go, but he had to ask permission from the gods first. And the gods said, no. It's been some months since we last visited Cho Yen. And then she seemed less open to the gospel now and resigned to her life as a medium. What hope is there for girls like this in a society where the physically and the mentally handicapped are often seen as an embarrassment to their family? How will she know that she is precious in God's eyes? In a culture where many are in bondage to dark spiritual forces, how will she know the one who can set her free and give her life? It's not easy. That's why God called us to Taiwan and why he's calling many people to pray for breakthroughs in the lives of families like the Chens. Perhaps you're expecting all my stories to be of success and conversions, but the reality is that engaging in missions is participating in a spiritual battle, one where we're trying to reach people who are held captive by false religions, and it's only the power of God's Holy Spirit that can set people free, not eloquent arguments slick contextual theology, or massive resources. Only God. That's a truth that at the same time, I think for me, it's both humbling and it's reassuring. Let me tell you about Bo Xuan. Bo Xuan's life changed the day he had a scooter accident. Paralyzed from the waist down, he was now an embarrassment to his family. They allowed him to live in a house owned by the family in Taiping. And he learned how to get by, supplementing his small allowance by trading items on eBay. He would get up early while it was still dark to sweep the path outside his house so that he could avoid talking to the neighbors. He was intensely lonely. A former teacher of his, who was also wheelchair-bound, persuaded him to visit a local church, which is where we met him. He arrived early for the service, but none of the church members talked to him embarrassed by his disability and his shyness. And after a few visits, he stopped coming. When we began a house church in our home, we invited Bo Shen. He turned up half an hour early every time and left as soon as the formal part of the meeting was over. Over the next few months, we persuaded him to stay for lunch and began to visit him in his home. And he grew in confidence and told us he felt the church was like a family to him. Once we asked him to prepare to lead a Bible study, and you could see that it meant so much to him that we had asked him to do something for us. Then one day, 
He told us his family had decided to sell the house he was living in without asking him. They decided he should go north and, and live with his brother two, about two, two hours' drive away. Lucy and I felt the need to challenge him about his relationship with God. And as we shared with him, it was clear that he wanted to be fully committed to Jesus. In fact, he asked if he could be baptized before he left typing. Boshen's last Sunday in Taiping was highly emotional. Oops, just skip over one. It was, uh, it was a real blessing to our church. He gave a testimony to the love of Jesus. He, he explained how it was the love of Christians in the church that had made him aware that there was a God who loved him and truly valued him. La love and value. Those two things are so linked together. In a culture where a crippled man would feel worthless, perhaps even cursed by the gods or at best ignored by them, imagine how it felt to be told that there was a God of love. Not only to be told, but to be valued and cared for by those who knew this God, living out what they said they believed. It's very easy to say to someone, God loves you. It's life-changing when God is at work in you and you demonstrate that love to them. Let me tell you about Mr. Shi. Our missionary team began an outreach in a local park. We set up a table and a tea set, making tea in the traditional way that Taiwanese men love to do when they sit and chat. We invited men to come and sit with us and often chatted about the gospel or, or told Bible stories. Mr. Shi one day sort of plucked up the courage slowly um, to, to come and listen to us and then later plucked up a bit more courage to come and sit with us. And soon he was a regular fixture of our Sunday afternoon outreach, smoking on his cigarette as he listened to the Bible story. He seemed interested in what we had to share. Sometimes he even reminded us that we were supposed to tell the Bible story. Well, one day another visitor asked him if he went to church and he he said, this is my church, just pointing to the gathering at the tea table. We felt um, that Mr. Xi had understood the gospel, and we often challenged him about committing his life to Jesus. But he always said that he, he wasn't quite ready yet and seemed sad about it. One day, myself and another missionary visited him at home, and he told us what his problem was. Mr. Xi lived with his wife and his grown-up son, and his relationship with his wife was not good because she knew about his mistress. Mr. Xi had been seeing another woman who he supported financially in a nearby house, and they'd been together for 20 years. He told us that if he became a Christian, he knew that he would have to leave his mistress, and how could he abandon her? Mr. Xi still comes to the meetings in the park, and even after two and a half years, he's not ready to fully commit his life to Jesus. It's not just superstition and false gods or tradition that keeps Taiwanese in bondage. But just like anywhere else in the world, there's a bondage to sin. A bondage that separates man from his creator and a bondage that only Christ can break. I wanted to include some stories of disappointment this evening because that's part of missionary life. I was very struck recently uh, reading a book by Ajith Fernando called The Call to Joy and Pain. 
It speaks a great deal about Christian suffering. And I I don't know about you, but when I hear about the physical suffering of brothers and sisters who face persecution around the world for their faith, I, I sometimes feel a little guilty that my life, including my missionary service, has been spent in countries where there's little poverty, no wars, uh, and freedom of religion. But in Ajit Fernando's book, he makes a profound observation about Christian suffering that has spoken to me in the last year or so. He points out that our relationships and our commitment to relationships are the biggest source of our suffering in the Christian life. It's when we commit ourselves to others that we make ourselves vulnerable to being hurt. And yet that commitment and that vulnerability and even the suffering makes the biggest impact for the gospel on people because it's essentially what God has done, what he's done for us in Christ. By loving us and committing himself to us, he also suffered the pain of rejection. And he shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And as we prayed and spent time with and invested emotionally in contacts like Mr. Xi, so we experienced the pain of seeing the bondage of sin that held him. So we're hurt time and time again by contacts who took advantage of our willingness to care when no one else cared. Those who everyone else avoided because of their dysfunctional behavior. We realized that so many of the working class that we were reaching out to could so easily drain us of our energy and our emotions because as we become involved in their lives, lives that drifted from crisis to crisis, it would drain us. How much easier to be what Ajit Fernando calls the aspirin generation, today's Christians, who avoid pain by avoiding any kind of commitment, especially to those with problems. Let me tell you about Guantao and Yuzhen. Guantao was a crippled man. He was crippled from birth, an embarrassment to any Taiwanese family. Wheelchair bound, and though quite smart, too weak to, to hold down a proper job. Unable to find a Taiwanese wife, uh, for him, Guantao's family arranged for a mail-order bride, a Vietnamese bride, Yuzhen. She came to Taiwan expecting to escape from poverty in Vietnam, to become a wife and a mother, and instead she found that she was actually a full-time nurse to a seriously crippled man who was now her husband. And after a while, she couldn't stand it. She had an affair with an ex-boyfriend from Vietnam who made her pregnant. What kind of future could there be for such a marriage? But Eugene met with a Vietnamese-American missionary, an elderly lady who counseled her to be reconciled with her husband and encouraged them to find a church. The missionary contacted us, and, and we found we'd actually already witnessed to Guantao in the past. We already knew him. And the couple started to attend our small house church, um, along with Eugene's little daughter, It was clear that Eugen was responding to the gospel, but her husband seemed also seemed to be interested. But there was a problem. Oops. Just lost my pictures. Uh There was a problem. As the eldest son, he had an ancestor worship shelf and idols in his home. 
They felt they couldn't make a final commitment and be baptized as long as those were present. We prayed, uh, and our, our, churches, our church prayed, and our prayer supporters in England and Northern Ireland and Australia and the U.S. prayed. And just before we left for home assignment in July, we were able to go to Guantau's house and to remove the ancestor shelf. Having spent time with the couple and assured of their conversions, we had the joy of seeing them baptized and seeing their daughter dedicated before we left for home assignment. It was a great day for our tiny little church to see demonstrated so clearly that our God can break the bondage of tradition and false gods and sin, and that he brings love and forgiveness into hopeless situations. I think it's uh, quite interesting that over the last few days, so often this quote has come up from, from John Piper, the challenge that there are only three responses to mission, the mission challenge, to go, to send, or to disobey. And I, I've been reflecting upon that a lot um, in Taiwan as well. I think it's worth going back to and unpacking. One of the things that worries me about the, the option of, of go or send is, is that, that as you look around a congregation like this, you realize that most people are thinking, well, send is obviously my option. Uh, but what worries me too about the go aspect is that there's an increasing trend for young people to go on short-term mission placements. Uh, and that's fantastic. And they often can do amazing ministry when they go on short-term teams. And often it can be the step in confirming someone's calling. But I think it would be really sad, and I have seen this happen, if anyone thinks they can go for a summer or even for a year and then forget about it and resign themselves to a life of sending. People like Bo Xuan and Guan Cao and Chou Yen are only going to be reached by long-term missionaries who committed to learning the language and spending time with them. And in OMF, we, we long to see more and more teams like the typing team reaching out to the working class, modeling and challenging and working alongside Taiwanese believers, reaching out to these hardly reached areas of Taiwan. And we could take 50 new missionaries next year if God would send them to us. I think go can also be a bit misleading if we think that go can only happen if you get on an aeroplane and go overseas and the, and the call only applies to those young enough to respond to the call of overseas missions. Because even cross-cultural missions has to be a challenge to everybody in this room here. Not just because of our multicultural societies and the fact that you, you meet Chinese and Indian and Pakistanis and people from all over the world, Nepalese and so on, even in the streets of Belfast, but also because of, as we've been learning in Taiwan, that there are segments of society which seem to be so marginalized from the church. And, and I think that's true in the UK. Just as the churches in Taiwan are so weak at reaching out to the working class, I think there are many folks in the UK who are marginalized from the church. People you would see every day in the streets of Bangor and Belfast. 
those that UK society seems increasingly to sneer at. As we come back from a few years overseas, missionaries, you suddenly get a slice of the UK society and you hear phrases like chav and benefit scrounger and, and the attitudes towards the jobless and feral youth. Uh, and you see the, the, the attitude towards broken families and the increase in alcoholism and, and issues about teenage mums and drug addicts and the poor uh, and those that don't dress or look like Churchgoers, those who you know it would be painful or costly to befriend, to commit to, because their problems will become your problems. And Jesus says, go. It would be much easier to take the second option for your church to send, to send someone to Taiwan to reach the working class, to send money to support AIDS ministry in Africa. And, and of course, we want people to do that. We want prayer for those ministries. But I think as missionaries, it's fantastically encouraging when we hear back from our supporting churches that you're doing the same ministry that we're doing, that you're reaching out, that you're crossing barriers, that you're reaching across cultures and segments of society, um, that we are sent out from healthy churches. I hope that you'll pray for us in Taiwan. Perhaps God will challenge some of you to come and join our mission team. But I hope also you'll be challenged that it's the same mission there and here because it's God's mission. And he is building his kingdom. He's bringing hope and empowering people and calling people to commit themselves to loving those who are lost. And as hard as it is at times, it's a privilege to be involved in what God is doing. Thank you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.